Son j i u n joins us in the studio for the news briefing. Good morning to you. Good morning. It is May 18th. Uh, it is a, a somber occasion for, for many people. And today is a more significant day because it is the 40th anniversary of the May 18th democratization movement in Gwangju. The uh, president, Moon Jae-in, yesterday had a uh, special interview that he conducted with Gwangju mm-hmm. uh, MBC. And he was stressing the importance of even to this day, of finding out the truth of what exactly happened, right? Right, because President Moon, in fact, in 2017, ordered a special investigation into the massacre that killed hundreds of civilian protesters in May of 1980 under the General c h o n d u w a n s military government. Now, a special investigative committee that launched in September of 2017 confirmed that soldiers were ordered to fire at protesters from a helicopter and that fire jets were armed with bombs ready to target civilians. Now, in the interview yesterday, uh, President Moon said to this day, it has still not been revealed who ordered the open fire and who's legally responsible. And he added that we need to identify all the victims, uh, fully uncover how the open fire was carried out and how the truth was systematically distorted and concealed. He also added that tolerance and generosity is the virtue of democracy, but that does not mean that it should embrace those who distort and degrade its values and said that those who do so, including even politicians, should face harsh, harsh, harsh punishments. He also added that um, the spirit of May 18th democratization movement should be inscribed in the Korean constitution. And this drive to find out the truth of what exactly happened continues to this day. He mentioned that uh, we are in a free democracy that implies things like freedom of speech mm-hmm. uh, so people can have controversial opinions and express them. But what he is saying, there's a limit to that in, in yes. regards to May 18th uh, for people who uh, deny uh, what exactly happened or perhaps even try to smear or uh, degrade mm-hmm. many of these protesters who did come out back in 1980. He is um, the president right now, the most powerful man in the country. But before this, he was also a human rights lawyer, and he himself was a democracy activist. He also shared his own personal experience during those days, right? Right. So he recalled his own involvement in this democratization movement at the time. The day before the massacre, he was arrested for violating martial law and detained in a jail in Seoul. Now there, he heard of the news about the uprising from police officers who were rather critical about Chun's martial law and his army. But when he was released, he was surprised to find out what was on TV because the media was talking about things in an entirely different mm, perspective. Mm. So at the time, he also took part in the anti-Chun protest leading up to the uprising as a student representative from k y u n g h e e University in Seoul, a protest that many believe gave Chun a reason to send his troops to Gwangju because it was a big protest of university students, uh, right. probably scared the government off. Um, students in Seoul reluctantly had to break off and Chun later sent his military to Gwangju, which led to the May 18th massacre. And for that, Moon said uh, he feels guilty. Now, when asked who he is reminded of by the pro-democracy protest, he named former late president 
President Lo Muhyun, who was a lawyer at the forefront informing the public of what happened on the 18th of May. Yes, and uh, these two figures are intertwined throughout mm-hmm. now uh, modern Korean history. Uh, the two best friends who mm-hmm. uh, practiced law together eventually worked in the Blue House together when President Noh Muhyun became president, but also uh, linked by their continuous drive for democracy and human rights here in the country. Uh, it has come full circle now with uh, the people in power who are now trying to find the truth, but that wasn't always the case before when we were under a military dictatorship where a lot of the truth was uh, seemingly sort of covered up. As you mentioned, the uh, TV coverage of the event mm-hmm. was uh, markedly different from what right. people had actually experienced on the ground. But the problem is here in the year 2020, we still have a lot of people who refuse to acknowledge the, the, the facts of what happened in Gwangju in 1980. You, you were mentioning uh, the people who are trying to distort the truth, mm-hmm. trying to conceal what occurred during the 1980 pro-democracy protests. And that, unfortunately, includes uh, prominent figures and politicians uh, of the modern area, including, and you got to say, uh, unfortunately, um, most of them linked to the main opposition party, mm-hmm. the United Future Party. Uh, they have had a very difficult time of it in terms of public support. And maybe now the, the leadership there realizes that this is not a politically tenable position for them to be in with their stance towards Gwangju. And now we're seeing that uh, perhaps uh, there is some attempt to make amends. Right. So today there's already a social consensus or understanding over the legitimacy of the protest, um, saying that this is a democratization movement. Um, However, former lawmakers of the main opposition, the then Liberty Korea Party, had previously referred to the movement as a riot and called protesters a bizarre group of monsters uh, who only take up texts of the country. Now, there was no official apology by the LKP then, and they only, the party members, only faced a slap on the wrist. Now, for this, LKP had lost a considerable amount of public support. Now, as you said, uh, it seems like the UFP is trying to change. And over the weekend, its new floor leader, Chu Ho-young, apologized for such insensitive remarks by his former fellow lawmakers, saying that the party will continue to stay aligned with the people from now on. Now, this could be interpreted as him trying to draw a line with the far-right conservatives and build a moderate conservative party, which one of its lawmakers, Yu Sung-min, hoped for a very long time. Right. Now, the UFP's most representative reformative conservative lawmaker, Yu, visited the National Cemetery for May 18th democratization movement to pay tribute yesterday. So we should give credit where credit's due. The new leadership uh, led by the uh, floor mm-hmm. leader, Chu Hu-young, which uh, in, in technically speaking right now, he is the de facto leader of the entire right. party until they come up with an idea of who's going to be the chairman of their emergency committee if they go that route. But uh, he's considered to be perhaps a a little bit less of a firebrand, maybe a little bit more uh, soft-spoken in Mm -hmm. his rhetoric. And he has now recognized, apparently, that uh, the party has to go in a new direction, Mm -hmm. uh, which um, what you were saying, cutting ties with the far right, these YouTubers, uh, these uh, prominent uh, pundits who Mm -hmm. come out and say these things like North Korea was uh, infiltrating the movement and uh, these are nothing but commie sympathizers. And a lot of the uh, kind of... 
very painful and, and mm-hmm. harmful uh, rhetoric that has uh, really, really hurt not just the people and the family members of these victims, but also people all around the country who have been inspired by the Gwangju mm-hmm. uh, movement. Yoo Seung-min also, as you say, an, uh, a reform i s lawmaker who hopes to maybe rebuild this party by cutting ties off with those uh, extreme right-wingers. We'll see how it goes, but as it stands right now, as we say, uh, we should give credit for them uh, for at least uh, making the gesture and uh, actually physically going down there. Very contrasting to last mm-hmm. year when uh, the former chairman, uh, Hwang Gyo-won, uh, did make a visit to Gwangju without the apology in, in, in the height of that controversy mm-hmm. with those lawmakers. And so... Uh, There is a hope that perhaps uh, the country can come together with this. And so uh, we will see how eventually the political circles uh, actually make amends as well. Okay, so we have talked about May 18th. We're going to talk about May 18th for quite a bit uh, during our other segments as well throughout today, as well as uh, tomorrow and the next few days. Let's uh, move on to uh, some of the things that are of pressing concerns here right now. Obviously, Mm -hmm. COVID-19, Korea had a rather rough or uh, busy week last week because we were all coming to grips with these cluster infections that emerged out of Itaewon. Uh, Where are we now with the outbreak? Well, we seem to be relatively on a safe ground. Now, according to President Moon, um, thanks to speedy contact tracing and testing, the possibility of additional spread by those infected in Itaewon have become very low. Now, he said that it could have been worse as some cases had involved churches and call centers, which could lead to a bigger infection or bigger spread. However, he attributed the containment uh, to people's compliance over wearing masks and keeping social distance. Also, according to KCDC, uh, we recorded, we reported additional 13 cases yesterday. Uh, Six of them were community transmissions and seven of them were imported cases. So the numbers seem like it's stabilizing. Now, 168 cases have been reported in in relation to the Itaewon infection for your information. President Moon added that uh, the virus can break out anytime again, but we can get through this uh, because we have the world's best quarantine system as well as the people who put their heads together in times of difficult times. Yeah, it's so I think we're at a point where we can somewhat breathe a sigh of relief as far as the outbreak and, and right. the severity of it. Uh, there, the, the government had been saying that they were trying to prevent at least uh, a fourth level of transmission, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's gone from one level, uh, direct contact, and right. then people who contact those people directly from the clubs, and then the third level. Uh, we've had a couple of cases, I think, from mm-hmm. a fourth level of infection, but uh, so far, so good. But uh, the concern then for a lot of the parents out there is uh, this schedule that the government had to reopen schools. Does this mean now that schools can reopen a schedule? Right. So the parents and people who have to go back to school are quite concerned. But the government determined that... uh, It's the possibility of these people related to schools or students uh, being affected or infected by this spread is quite low. So it's safe for the students to go back to their classrooms. Now, according to Prime Minister Chong Se-kyun, schools will resume as scheduled thus, uh, meaning high school seniors will go back to school starting this Wednesday on the 20th of May. High school juniors, middle school seniors and first and second year elementary school students will start going back to their classrooms on the 27th of May. High school freshmen, middle school junior, and third and fourth year elementary school students uh, will go back to school on the 3rd of June, and the rest will go back on the 8th of June. Now, 
it, the high school, high school seniors had to go back uh, as scheduled, especially because of college admission, because mm-hmm. it will mess things up if they go back later. And the numbers uh, of confirmed cases, as I've said, are declining. But Prime Minister said once unexpected things happen, we have to be able to respond fast and smart. They have said that if there is uh, an outbreak or infection found in one of the schools, they will have a complete uh, uh, comprehensive testing of everybody, Mm -hmm. including students and teachers and staff uh, in that school, uh, try to mitigate the outbreaks if and when it happens. But uh, there is this sense, as you said, with the high school seniors, uh, with school not being delayed any further to hurt their chances in terms of college admissions. In fact, if you take the polls, according to the government, of parents Mm -hmm. who who support opening schools or uh, keeping them closed for now, it is the parents of the high school seniors as well as the uh, junior high seniors who are actually majority supporting reopening Mm -hmm. as scheduled because of the kind of sensitivities. Uh, Junior high seniors also have to prepare for for high school. And so that's whereas parents of younger kids like myself, we kind of are more, (laughs) well, you can open, but uh, maybe we should try to be uh, as safe as possible with this idea of reopening the country, which leads us to our second question here. Uh, The prime minister also had some comments on uh, whether uh, the timing of reopening the Mm -hmm. economy is too early or not, right? Right. So when asked if it was too early for the country to relax its social distancing measures, Prime Minister said that it was about the right time and that we couldn't keep sacrificing the economy. Now, things will get better here, he said, when the rest of the world starts recovering as well. Now, he also added that a third supplementary budget will be in place, which will be larger than the first two ones. And he said issuing more government bonds or national debt is inevitable. It's always going to be a difficult balance, right? With, right. The, with the health officials, I believe a lot of the health officials are a little bit more cautious in terms mm-hmm. of uh, opening things up uh, at the rate that uh, things are going, whereas government officials have to weigh the health concerns as well as the uh, economic, economic concerns. Right. And we've seen that struggle uh, throughout uh, many countries around the world in much worse situations mm-hmm. than us right now, but still thinking about reopening the economy. We'll get kind of the global picture in a little bit. But the uh, supplementary budget you're talking about, it is about funding, trying to get uh, help to the people who need it, industries to the uh, people, the industries that are struggling right now. Let's talk about the emergency disaster allowance because that's been a pretty hot topic Mm -hmm. of uh, conversation these days. It's going to be another busy day for the banks, right? Because uh, this is going to be the first day that they will start receiving applications for the emergency disaster funds as well as loans for small business owners offline, meaning face-to-face in the uh, teller counters. Right. So a lot of people are expected to rush to banks starting today because offline application for emergency disaster relief funds starts today over the counters of banks nationwide. Now, if you wish to apply at banks, take your ID and credit card or debit card and visit the bank affiliated with your cards. Now, after a day or two, you should be good to go. Now, for prepaid cards or vouchers, you would have to visit community centers instead of banks. Mm. Now, concerned over a big crowd, uh, for the first week, you can only apply on designated days according to the last digit of your birth year, as we did for the masks. Uh, Plus, uh, the second application phase for the so-called coronavirus loan for small business owners will begin today as well. Uh, You don't need to visit credit credit guarantee fund because banks will 
uh, evaluate one's credibility from now on. So you can do everything at bank uh, at once. Interest rate for business, small business owners will be from 3 to 4% according to your credit rate, ratings. Uh, you will be able to borrow maximum 10 million won for five years of maturity. Right. And so for the people who maybe have had some difficulty with the online systems or mm-hmm. some confusions with that, or uh, people who find it uh, cumbersome to do the, the phone consultations, which has been opened uh, late last week as well, uh, you can now do it face-to-face. But as you said, uh, hopefully uh, people still adhere to the uh, social distancing uh, guidelines in doing this because it will be uh, pretty crowded out there. Okay, let's get the international picture then of uh, what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic here, j i u n First, over to Russia. Uh, the country there reporting thousands of new confirmed cases every day, and it has now become the second hardest hit country after the U.S. in terms of confirmed cases. Yes, unfortunately, yesterday alone, Russia reported more than 9,000 cases, and the total now stands at over 280,000. Now, Moscow alone so far reported over 142,000 confirmed cases. It added 94 more deaths yesterday, and the death toll now stands at 2,631. Though yesterday alone, over 4,000 people were released upon recovery, and a total of 24% 24 of Mm. the entire confirmed population have now recovered so far. The country is ramping up testing. Uh, They are conducting 300,000 tests a day. Uh, And thanks to these efforts earlier this month, um, when Russia reported more than 10,000 cases, cases, uh, but in the couple of Days In the past couple of days, uh, the number fell below 10,000 or it hovered somewhere around 10,000. So the country is expecting a downward trend. Right. They might be seeing a plateau like we're seeing in, mm. in the U.S. where the numbers have just basically stayed the same right. in terms of confirmed cases. They're testing a lot more now, which is good news. But uh, just like the U.S., they seem to have been a little bit late in acknowledging the mm-hmm. severity of the pandemic. And uh, perhaps uh, that has caused uh, the outbreak to, to be a bit more severe than had been uh, hoped for. What What about other parts of Europe? Well, in Europe, economy is taking a very mm. big toll. Experts have warned that Germany will experience the worst economic recession since the 1930 uh, Great Depression. In fact, Germany, the economic powerhouse of Europe, recorded negative growth for two consecutive quarters. Um, and, in, and in its first quarter, the growth declined by 2.2% year on year, the biggest decline since the global financial crisis in 2009. But what's worrying is that this is the brightest outlook among other European countries because uh, in in France and Italy, the economic uh, growth fell by 5.8% and 4.7% from previous quarter uh, representatively. Now, experts warn that in Northern Europe, uh, these regions are coming close to a sovereign default even. Mm. Well, there is a problem with the uh, the best economy in Europe has a minus 2.2%. You can imagine the uh, problems with the other uh, parts of Europe. Korea also, um, they, they are, there's a lot of kind of uh, hand-wringing and panicking going on in certain media outlets about the uh, lack of growth or maybe hovering around 0% mm-hmm. growth. But again, among OECD countries, it looks right. like Korea is faring uh, the best. So it really gives a picture of the, uh, the very, very problematic global economic outlook right now. 
now. Uh, let's turn to another very disturbing uh, story. It seems like Korea is not the only country uh, trying to root out sex crimes, especially exploitation of children uh, through the uh, digital realms. And uh, we've seen in our latest fight against the, uh, uh, the sex crime scandal, which uh, has been known as the Enthroom case. Other countries are also following suit. Yes, uh, that's France, because French Lower House of Parliament recently passed a bill recently um, requiring social media platform operators to take down racist and sexist posts in 24 hours and child pornography or terrorism-related contents in an hour. Now, when these companies or operators fail to comply, they could face up to 1.2 million euros. That's about 1.7 billion won, so it's a very big amount of Mm. money. Now, some believe uh, or some oppose to this uh, bill saying that it's infeasible for the operators to remove posts in an hour and that it will lead to excessive censorship thereby infringing uh, people's freedom of expression. Well, that's a debate for another time. Uh, Speaking of uh, debates, uh, another political dispute brewing over in the U.S., uh, the current and former presidents uh, catching themselves in a bit of a spat ahead of the Mm -hmm. uh, November presidential elections. Right. So this spat has been going on for some time. But earlier, former U.S. President Barack Obama criticized Trump for mishandling the coronavirus crisis, though he did not name specifically Trump. Mm -hmm. And in an online address to graduating college students, he said the pandemic has shown that many officials aren't even pretending to be in charge. He also spoke at length about the impact the pandemic is having on black communities in the U.S., and this is not the first time he criticized Trump administration's response to the virus. Now, Trump ramped up his attack against Obama as a response, accusing Obama had violated laws to launch the investigation into Russia's involvement in U.S. election meddling, um, all to just undermine the legitimacy of Trump's presidency. Right, you're going to hear a lot lot about uh, Obamagate uh, being bandied about by uh, Trump and his mm-hmm. supporters. Uh, there is this desire to perhaps find a political enemy that uh, he can target. I'm talking about Trump because of the fact that uh, perhaps there's an attempt to distract from what people are suffering from right now with the COVID-19 pandemic uh, coronavirus. Uh, that's as well as the uh, degradation of the economy there. So uh, it's going to be a messy and uh, dirty and uh, pretty uh, disturbing presidential election. I think uh, that is uh, very clear uh, from the outset there. Okay, we are going to leave it there to you. And as always, uh, thank you for all the wonderful reporting. We will uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me.